All right, so today's topic is Christian hypocrisy and the damage that does to our witness, how our hypocrisy uh, causes our friends to be unimpressed with the gospel. And uh, the fact is there is a perception out there that we are hypocrites. In 2007, the Barna Group researchers Dave Kinneman and Gabe Lyons published the results of a, a number of interviews they had done with younger non-Christian Americans. And so this is 11 years ago, and I'm assuming that the, pers- uh, that the data has only gotten worse. But back then, uh, Americans aged 16 to 29 who were not Christians, 85% of them said that they view Christians as hypocrites, defined as saying one thing and doing another. 85%. That's a, a giant majority. And if somebody views you as a hypocrite, they're less inclined to believe you, right? Hypocrisy is a, a type of mask wearing. It's a type of duplicity. It's, it's a type of falsehood. And it's, it's not a good perception to have. Now, uh, I encountered this when I was 19 years old, commercial fishing out of Egigik. Uh, we were at the Nelbro Cannery. And I was fishing for this uh, very boisterous Italian Pentecostal. And he and his buddies on land were all Jesus, come to our Bible studies, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Very outspoken, which was noble, until we went out on the fishing grounds. And out on the fishing grounds, they were the, the quickest to cork people off, which means you lay your net right in front of the next guy and take his fish. And they would yell and scream and ram boats. And I don't know how many times they told me to jump overboard and cut people's nets in two so we could get through. That was actually kind of fun. Um, and they, sometimes they're cursing. Uh, they were not acting very Christian out on the fishing grounds. Because it was about getting ahead at expense of other people. Well, this was noticed by the non-Christians. And they, they did not like this group of outspoken uh, Christians. And often they would talk to me and say, Hey, you don't, you don't, you're not that kind of a Christian, are you? Because we do not like these guys. And it, it really hindered their witness. Saying one thing and then going out and living another. And that gap between what we say we believe and how we act is noticed, right? Most most non-Christians know that Christianity says we're to be peaceable, loving, sacrificial, honest, compassionate, and on and on. And yet most non-Christian Americans also know personally some Christians who aren't that way. And so they see the gap, which causes this, this perception. And hinders our witness. Now, hypocrisy in its truest sense is actually pretending to be someone you're not. Uh, it comes from the Greek word hypocrite, which is what they called a, someone on stage who was wearing a mask pretending to be uh, someone else, right? It was a, a hypocrite was a, a Greek actor. Now, on stage, that's fine. Pretend to be someone you're not. Everybody thinks it's kind of fun. But in real life, nobody respects a hypocrite because it's a form of dishonesty and mask wearing. And, and Jesus, uh, Jesus is the 
biggest critic of hypocrisy. He has a lot to say about hypocrites. Uh, he is not a fan because hypocrites present a, uh, well, they inoculate people to the gospel and they are often even self-deluded into thinking they have a relationship with God when they don't. And so, uh, turning, if you would, into the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to see just in the Gospel of Matthew uh, that Jesus has a whole lot to say about hypocrisy. Now here, uh, as we'll talk about in a little bit, Jesus is, differentiates between pretending to be something you're not and uh, falling short, having a gap between what you say you believe in and what you do. So Matthew chapter 6 uh, Jesus identifies in Matthew um, eight different forms that hypocrisy takes, and he's down on all of them. Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And verse 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Giving to the needy, praying, fasting, these are, are things that you would expect someone to do out of a desire to honor the Lord and draw closer with, to him and to, be, uh, to care about the people he cares about. And so those are good things, but what Jesus is, is uh, zeroing in here is that a lot of people do this not because they care about drawing near to God, not because their heart beats with the heart of God, but because they want to be seen by other people as being spiritual. And so the first form of hypocrisy is acting as if our motivation is to please God when, in fact, it's to be thought highly of by humans. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. Here's the second form of hypocrisy. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? When there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so here's a hypocrisy of pointing out others' faults while ignoring your own. Hey, you've got some, a speck in your eye, and meanwhile I've got this giant log. Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9. But Jesus, oh, I'm actually I'm going to start in 5. When the disciples, nope, I'm going to start, I'm in the wrong chapter, hang on. There we go. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So here's the hypocrisy of uh, talking a spiritual game when in fact it's not reflected in your heart. Uh, and that's something we have to guard against when we sing worship songs, right? And we can be mouthing it, and our mind and our heart can be far away from what we're saying. Matthew chapter 22, verses 16 through 18. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. 
And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinions, for you're not swayed by appearances. They're buttering him up, acting like they are impressed with him, when in fact all they're trying to do is trip him up. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? And that's when he says, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And so there is the hypocrisy of pretending to be friendly to God when in fact you're his enemy in your heart. Chapter 23, verse 15. There's another form of hypocrisy. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. Proselyte is a convert, a Gentile convert to Judaism. When he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. And so here's the hypocrisy of claiming to be able to lead people to God when you don't know God yourself. Verse 23 of chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. So there's the hypocrisy of uh, focusing on the things that are much less significant to God and ignoring the things that are truly important to him. So your, uh, your priorities are all out of whack. Chapter 23, verse 25 to 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the outside of the cup and the plate, that the outside, the inside, so that the outside also may be clean. Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so there is the hypocrisy of uh, cleaning up the outside so that you appear spiritual, you appear Christian, but you neglect to deal with the inside mess. Verses 29 and 30, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we'd lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. And so here's the hypocrisy of claiming to be less prone to sin than others. And so the Pharisees, the hypocrites... Jesus is pointing out, you are deceiving yourselves and other people, claiming to have a relationship with God, claiming to have a heart that is drawn to God when, in fact, it's not. And that pretense uh, is a very bad thing in Jesus' mind. In fact, in chapter 24, he equates the hypocrites with wicked servants and says that uh, both of them will be cast into, verse 51, quote, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus is very down on hypocrisy because pretending to be a Christian when you're not 
won't get you anything good. It's going to get you hell just like the complete uh, unbeliever. And the Bible is very clear that there will be many on the last day who say, who are surprised when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. But didn't we? And they weren't really Christians. And so they had deceived other people and they'd even deceived themselves. So we don't want to be hypocrites. Uh, and so we can affirm with our, with our unbelieving friends, yes, hypocrisy is a bad thing. Uh, there are many who claim to be Christians who are, in fact, uh, pretending, aren't really Christians. And Jesus is the first one to condemn that. He is down on that. But here's the good news, because there is good news. The good news is that Jesus differentiates between hypocrisy and falling short. Hypocrisy, pretending to be a Christian when you're not, pretending to be, have a heart, uh, a Godward heart when you don't, well, that, that is uh, very bad in Jesus' eye. But falling short, trying hard to become like Christ and not always uh, winning, that's very different. And Jesus uh, treats that very differently. Uh, falling short, he differentiates from hypocrisy. And, and he has a way to handle falling short, because we all fall short. Even those of us who truly know Christ and are trying hard to be like Jesus. Uh, we fail, right? We fall short. And Jesus, to that, Jesus says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so there is a a way to handle falling short, all within the context of a relationship with God. So Jesus, uh, Jesus differentiates between hypocrisy and falling short, but our friends don't, <laughs> right? To, to our friends, uh, hypocrisy and any gap between what we say we believe and what we do, uh, all of that uh, undermines our witness, all of that inoculates them to the gospel and causes them to have the cat face. They're unimpressed. And why? Well, here are three reasons. Number one, both hypocrisy and falling short calls our believability into question. If your actions don't match your words, why should I believe your words? Lawyers do this all the time. They, they seek to undermine the credibility of a witness. If I can just get the jury uh, wondering whether or not this is a truthful person, then I can undermine the power of their testimony in court. Well, anytime a non-Christian observes a gap between uh, what we say we believe and how we live, yeah, it undermines our credibility. Number two, it removes the evidential power of a transformed life. When, when your uh, unbelieving friend sees a real change in your life because you're following Jesus, that's a, a powerful apologetic. But on the flip side, when they see a gap, <laughs> uh, when they see you um, doing things that are wrong and not living like a Christ, they know a Christian is supposed to, well, then it removes the power uh, the evidential power of a transformed life. And then finally, it erects an emotional barrier. If that's the way Christians act, why 
would I want to be a Christian? And here's the reality. The reality is a lot of unbelievers have been personally hurt by Christians acting badly. And that, that erects an emotional barrier. So a kid grows up in a family in which mom and dad take him to church and, and claim to be Christians uh, and yet abuse the child at home. And that kid says, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with mom and dad's religion because that's the kind of person it produced. And that, that's, a, that's a significant barrier, right? A kid goes to class, the teacher claims to be a Christian, and the teacher shows tremendous favoritism. And, and that angers the kid and turns the kid off to the teacher and to what the teacher claims to be, believe. Uh, you, you, the Christian employer who is very uh, tight and um, doesn't pay the employees much and is, uh, takes everything for himself or herself and the employees aren't impressed. They're not impressed with their boss. They're not impressed with the, the faith of their boss. Or it's the, uh, the Christian contractor who doesn't do what he said he was going to do and doesn't come back and fix the problems. And so, and on and on it goes. There have been a whole lot of non-Christians hurt by the poor behavior, the bad behavior of Christians. And it erects an emotional barrier. If that's the way Christians act, I don't want anything to do with Christianity. And unfortunately, I think a whole lot of people have remained unimpressed with the gospel for precisely that reason throughout all of history. And... Uh, what grieves us is when we think about maybe I have contributed that in somebody's life, and we don't want that. So how do we answer the charge of hypocrisy? Our friend says, hey, I'm, you know, I'm just not interested in being a Christian because I've encountered way too many hypocrites. Right? You ever heard that? Absolutely. I know a lot of Christian hypocrites. I'm not interested in becoming a Christian. So what might we say to dislodge them, uh, to sort of melt this, this obstacle? Well, here are, I have uh, four things that you might want to point out to your friend, see if you can soften their stance. Number one, uh, point out to them that Christianity is not about Christians. It's about Jesus, and Jesus isn't a hypocrite. Christianity is fundamentally about who is Jesus Christ uh, and his claim to be the son of the living God who left heaven and came to earth so that he could live a righteous life that could be credited to our account. He could go to the cross and pay by his death, pay the sin penalty or the penalty for our sin. He could burst forth from the grave and defeat the power of sin and death. Christianity is fundamentally about Jesus and Jesus was not a hypocrite. In fact, he's the only person who consistently acted in light of his beliefs. Uh, the Jewish leadership tried desperately to find something wrong with Jesus, and eventually they failed, and so they ended up having to make stuff up. Number two, you might want to point out that not everyone who claims to be a Christian is a Christian, and it's unfair to make Christianity answer for their bad actions. A third of the world's population claims to be Christian. And not all of them are true Christians. They haven't 
repented of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ and, and committed themselves to following his teachings. Uh, many professing Christians are Christians because, well, that's what my, I, I grew up in a Christian family, or I'm a Christian, not a Buddhist, not a Muslim, right? I'm, I, I live in a Christian state. Number three, History is filled with examples of Christians who have made tremendous strides in becoming like Jesus, and shouldn't Christianity get credit for these examples? So you, you have to acknowledge that a lot of bad stuff has been done in the name of Christ by Christians. We've got, you know, the uh, Crusades and the Inquisition and Manifest Destiny, which resulted in all kinds of bad things done to the Native Americans. We have, we've had men, Christians arguing uh, that, that slavery was part of God's you know, fundamental design within humanity. Uh, there's a lot of bad stuff that Christians have done and sought to justify in the name of Christianity. But on the, at the same time, and, and we have to own that, we have to own that. But on the flip side, Christians have done a whole lot of good stuff. And so if we're going to get you know, if we're going to be held accountable for the bad stuff, we ought to get credit also for the good stuff. So uh, there are many re Christian relief organizations around the world, 30,000 full-time Christian humanitarian workers. We have the Salvation Army, the YMCA, World Vision, Food for the Hungry, uh, Medical Teams International. Uh, Christians, uh, we have Mother Teresa, and uh, we have Martin, um, Martin Luther King, and... Christians are responsible for stopping infanticide, actually also for slavery. It really was the Christians that stopped slavery, uh, both in England and in the U.S., and, and on and on it goes. So Christians, there's been a whole lot of good done by Christians as well as bad. Fourth thing, probably the most important thing to point out, is that Christianity does not claim that it's going to make people immediately like Jesus. Rather, Christianity says, uh, or teaches that when you become a Christian, you start a lifelong process of becoming like Jesus. And so this, this demand that everyone who names Christ needs to be acting perfectly like Christ uh, is mistaking an aspirational goal, uh, insisting that, we, we're not allowed to have aspirational goals. Right? And so the aspirational goal is be perfect as I am perfect. And that every true Christian is, is striving toward that. But it's aspirational. That's who we want to be like. But we don't claim that we're there yet, right? And so Christianity teaches no matter where you are, once you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God indwells you and you begin a process, we call it sanctification, in which you become slowly more and more like Jesus in actuality. And that process does not finish this side of heaven. So frankly, you know, it's, it's an unfair requirement uh, made by the unbeliever, oh, Christians... You know, if you're if you're a Christian, then I'm gonna I'm gonna require that you you be acting like Jesus 24/7 all the time because none of us do that. In fact, I, I like uh, somebody put it this way: 
Not going to church because of the hypocrites is like not going to the gym because of all the out-of-shape people. <laughs> right? You go into a gym, gym and you're like, hey, there are people here who are not yet buff. Yeah, that's why they're in the gym. But where were they six months ago, right? And so if, if the gospel is true, I think what we should see is Christians acting, you know, doing bad and good, but we should see people being transformed. And so you ought to see Christians who, hey, they're not, uh, the way they're not acting the way they were five years ago or six months ago, right? We should see change, and I think that's the real. I think that's the data. The data is um, yes, there are Christians who are doing bad things as well as good things, but there are a lot of Christians whose lives are being changed um, by the power of God at work within them. And I and I think if you're if you're honest about it and take an honest look at the data, that's in fact, what you see. <clears throat> Leo Tolstoy, the famous Russian novelist, put it so perfectly. I love this. He says, attack me. I do this myself. But attack me rather than the path I follow and which I point out to anyone who asks me where I think it lies. Here it is. If I know the way home and am walking along it drunkenly, is it any less the right way because... I am staggering from side to side. I, I, I think that puts it so perfectly. Uh, to make the claim that Christianity is not true because Christians are staggering from side to side on the way home, just that doesn't make sense, does it? it, it that's an, uh, an absurd charge. It's an unfair charge. And so that we do say, hey, uh, we are following Jesus. Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the way to heaven. We don't pretend that we're on a straight path. We are, we are staggering from side to side. Don't look at me, look at Jesus. Uh, but our staggering from side to side does not invalidate the fact that the path is correct. All right, let me leave us with three takeaways. Because... You know, we don't want to be contributing to our friends being unimpressed with the gospel, neither individually nor as a church. Uh, we want to be doing whatever we can to, to soften this um, uh, objection. So here are three takeaways. Number one, act in harmony with your faith. Uh, we don't want there to be a gap between our words and our actions. And in 1 Peter, we're told, make every effort to grow in Christ's likeness, to add to your faith Christian virtues. And uh, God helps us in that by his Holy Spirit, and he equips us with his great promises. But we have a role to play in it. We can set ourselves uh, on that path and really make an effort to try to obey the commands of Christ and line, line up our, our actions with our words. So number one, act in harmony with your faith, uh, so that, you know, people aren't seeing hypocrisy in us. Number two, be honest about your faults. Be open about them and about your hope for transformation in Jesus. So one thing that non-Christians uh, don't like 
is uh, the smugness that many Christians have and a, a holier-than-thou attitude. They don't like that. Uh, but you can, you can disarm them by just being open and uh, honest about the fact that you are in process and that you're not claiming to be better than. But at the same time, that you have a hope that Christ in you is changing you for the better and that you will become uh, a better person because of it. And then number three, affirm belonging at all stages of transformation. And this is, this is very important for us as a church community, that we have to affirm belonging at all stages of transformation. When someone becomes a Christian, they have a right to belong to the church. And people come to Christ at all stages of moral <laughs> uh, destruction. And some people come to Christ and their life is an absolute mess and they have decades of patterns of all kinds of brokenness and they bring that into church. And so they, you know, they, I remember a guy, he's telling about how, how amazed, you know, how excited he is about being uh, a Christian and the tremendous G change Jesus is making in his life and he used the F word a whole lot to tell me that. That's Okay. God will transform him over time, but he belongs, right? And so come in and, you know, I, I, I want, kind of want, there to be smoking breaks for church, right? I want people who's, they're here, they belong, and they're at all stages of transformation. And, and we don't fixate on, on them, uh, on where they are. Uh, yes, we encourage each other, and we say, hey, the goal is to be like Jesus. And together, we encourage each other to be more like Jesus in, in every way, but, but we affirm belonging, we affirm belonging, we affirm belonging. So even within our community, there will be, unfortunately, spouses who cheat on each other, and people who are dishonest, and maybe people who break the law and end up going to jail. They still belong because we're all in process. We're all in process. And so if we have a community that affirms belonging, then people can be honest about where they are. And that, that actually uh, helps people grow spiritually. When people are allowed to bring the mess that's inside out, confess your sins one to another so that you may be looked down upon. That's not what it says, right? Confess your sins one to another so that you may be ostracized. That's not what it says. Confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. There's great power in being transparent with each other. And we won't do that unless we belong. But when we, when we are confident in our belonging, both to Christ and in, to the community, we bring our real self in, in, out and then we gather around each other and we pray for each other and we lead each other uh, arm in arm towards Jesus, okay? So uh, Clearwater Church, we want to make sure that we are a community that helps take away uh, this, this particular obstacle from people coming to Christ. Let's go silent.
um, just respond to what you've heard, and then the worship team will come up, and then I'll pray to conclude us. Heavenly Father, we don't want to uh, contribute to hardening people's hearts to the gospel, and so we commit ourselves um, to making every effort to live in harmony with our faith. Help us, Spirit of God, to do that. Lord, help us to be a community where uh, people come and they see, um, they see honesty, they see um, real people trying to, uh, trying to change in your power and that that will create hope in people's hearts and open, open them to the beauty of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one. We pray that all unity may one day be restored And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love